0: Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 199 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, it's the 3 P. Drew Giuliano is back. Drew is a professional bike racer for Laser Volley, presented by PregnancyToPerformance.com. He's also a journalist and, and just a great guy to talk to. I love always catching up with Drew and this conversation does not disappoint. And we're gonna to get to that in just a minute. I was listening to the wide angle podium show, Nowhere Fast, the new virtual racing podcast now on its own feed, so you should su- go subscribe. But they're talking about this new platform, RGT and uh, racing bikes on that from the indoors. And it was the perfect, I was thinking this is the perfect opportunity for people that wanna get into this to get the Watt Bike Adam. The Watt Bike is a leading smart bike. It's capable of connecting to all of the racing apps out there and it's going to give you real ride feel technology. This is the kind of thing that, you know, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again until it hits home with y'all. That you have all these bikes to do all these different things, you should also have a bike to do the indoors thing. We're coming up on onto the winter. We're coming up into a lot more indoor training. The Watt Bike atom is going to be the solution you're looking for. Go to Wattbike.com/us. W a t t bike.com/us. You'll find more information there. You can use the link down in the show notes wattbike.com slash US. Today's episode also brought to you by Willa's Oat Milk. There are a lot of oat milks out there. It's all the rage these days. Willa's is leading the pack. They created the healthiest, most sustainable plant milk. It's also the tastiest and, and because they use the whole oats, It's the creamiest. We have a deal For our listeners, you can use the code CROSSHAIRS20 when you check out. You're going to get 20% off of your order. So if you are already using oat milk and you haven't given Willow's a try, this is your opportunity to do it with that 20% discount. If you have never tried oat milk before, this is the opportunity to do so. And believe me, once you taste it, especially Willow's, you're not going back. You're going to be a subscriber before you know it. Go to willaskitchen.com, W-I-L-L-A-S kitchen.com, put in the code CROSSHAIRS20, and enjoy the creamiest oat milk out there. Finally, it has happened to me right in front of my face, and I just can't hide it. CC Pennyson. can never get enough of that song. See the things that you, you, you get when you don't skip ahead of the intro? Finally, we're brought to you by Mammoth Tough, the virtual challenge. It's still going on. the end of september there's still time to get in there the gravel reports are starting to come in that's part of the challenge along with trying to get the most distance or elevation or doing the scavenger hunt it's a ton of fun you should be part of it support david and amanda the promoters for the mammoth tough in their virtual challenge so that we can come back next year and actually race we've got a raffle that they're giving away a niner bike fully decked out with shimano components Deals from Orange Seal and SDG and tons of other sponsors. It's called the Tough 20, and you can save 10% off your registration because you're a wide-angle podium listener by putting in Tough 10 T U F F one zero in the coupon code. Find out everything you need at MammothTough.com, and I look forward to seeing your gravel reports. Amanda Nauman, one of the race organizers, she's also a guest on The Gravel which is on the Wide Angle Podium Network, so go check her out there as well. I'm sure she'll describe what's going on with the virtual challenge a whole lot better than I did right here. I don't guarantee you that she's going to be quoting any disco songs, though. So that you only get here. Also, check out everything else going on at the Wide Angle Podium at WideAnglePodium.com. Hey, I got a cyclocross video up. Go over to the Wide Angle Podium YouTube channel and check out Cyclocross Television. It's, it's here, guys. It's really here. All right. We're talking to Drew Giuliano. It's episode 199 of Cyclocross Radio, and we're doing that right now i right, drew uh i think this is the third time is this the third time or the fourth time we've talked
1: i'd think well talked who knows <laughs> I count officially it only counts <laughs> us
0: talking only counts if we do it when it's recording i don't know that, that <laughs> don't, the, the other times we talk like it seems like multiple times a week that's a that that goes into a different bucket
1: that's right. Yeah. So let's let's see. I think so. Sweaty minivan at Sea Otter. Amazing. Time number one. Yeah. Uh, the CX-airs basement lair in Washington D.C. Number two.
0: I yeah. You've had the most sort of like in person and sort. Of th- this is our first non in person one, which is which is rare.
1: That's right. Yeah. I, I imagine it's probably the other way around.
0: Yeah. The um. I I, I the. <laughs> the sweaty minivan at Seattle has to be the the best one because that was <laughs> yeah. that was it was truly it had to be like in the 80s out and what was oh, it was because we were in the back of uh trek's team tent and had compressors and everything else going on so that was like the only quiet place in Seattle.
1: yeah you were there i think every richards was there yeah. and ellen was there
0: I think that was the year. Like, was an Anton there too? Cooper, like, they had the whole they had the whole squad there. The all star lineup, fun. yeah, yeah, that was good. And so
1: we got to hang out in the sauna. Yeah. In the,
0: Tell in stories. The
1: tent. Yeah.
0: And now we're back oh, years later.
1: Indeed. <laughs>
0: and you're still Indeed. doing the same. You're
1: still you're still trying to race your bike. <laughs> I don't. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I I like fear the day somebody's like, Why do you race what do you like about racing bikes? Why do you race bikes? I guess I can answer the why you like it, but but why bike racing? Like I still can't really answer that question. It's some weird, deep seated subconscious thing that Yeah, I well don't have a rational answer to.
0: But um I mean, saying why do you still do it, I mean you're your body almost took you out of it last year but it seems like now you're back and in it and and ready to roll again
1: yeah i guess that yeah you yeah my body getting so yeah just background for people who don't know i have ulcerative colitis which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease uh that affects your colon uh and it's an autoimmune disease and i was diagnosed with it actually the first year i went to belgium and that (laughs) as if bike racing in Belgium isn't hard enough trying to figure that whole thing out. It's like, it sort of set the standard for like, well, this is all very difficult. It can only get easier from here. Um, and it was definitely a struggle for, for a few years to get that sorted out. But I, uh, yeah, I had some great doctors that I was able to go see down in LA and a lot of it was just stress management and learning to actually listen to my body. I feel like I spent my 20s just ignoring what my body was telling me and like trying to push through stuff, whether it's not so much physical, but emotional stress or, or just having too much on your plate. And then something finally pops when you're getting close to 30 and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Now I know why adults act like adults because they have to. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, but I, I managed to get it sorted out. And um, last year was definitely healthier than I had been. I missed some of the off season, but uh, I was able, I basically have been, um, what's it? In remission for the past year and a half. And so this is the first year I've actually been able to put in a full, full off season of training. Um, so my body is working, whether the world is working, that's a different story. But, um, I, I think it's given me a real appreciation regardless of whether I get to go race or not. Um, I think I realized how much I did enjoy racing my bike and kind of how fulfilling it was, um, and how that structure kind of gives that extra little purpose to my life. And I think I now really relish just being able to go out and ride and be healthy. Um, Cause there was a time where I didn't ride for three or four months and didn't do anything. And it was probably the most miserable I've ever been. So mm. it, yeah, it's, it's perspective, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you, you go. go. You got it
1: out of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Race for perspective. Such a, such a, such a journalism guy way to put things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, here it is. So what was the, what was the plan for this, you know, coming in this season healthy? What was the, what was the pre-March 13th plan? I just, March 13th is my, like, the, the world stop day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We got on a, a plane to go to a wedding, I think like March 9th and we were there for a week and then all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> yeah, like you said, the world stopped. So that was we failed the pandemic timing test that's for sure <laughs> uh, but anyway that's another story for another day uh but yeah so season wise i you know I think I was really looking forward to spending a chunk of time on the east coast in the oh of okay of so back
0: to back to the the domestic schedule like a, a bigger domestic schedule i mean because in the, in the past you sort of done some races early and then you were like um you know out of here and, and off to europe
1: yeah well so what i was planning was kind of like an early season block like september early october mm-hmm. and then heading back over to to europe um and obviously as the uh the the year ticked on we sort of <laughs> things were races were disappearing and things were changing so um, I mean, Europe was always part of the plan from the beginning. I think I sort of got a taste of that, and every year I feel like I get it figured out a little bit better and better and actually had, like, a a result or two last year. I was like, oh, I, I can I can be happy with this and, and proud of this. So, um, yeah, Europe, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things. You get a taste, and it's like you either go – running and screaming in the other direction as fast as you can or you just you you gotta keep going back for more and i think i'm kind of the second
0: and you don't you you actually don't just do the i'm going to belgium i'm staying there maybe i'll do some dutch races also it seemed like you are even even more so into like the spanish races and just uh doing a little more exploring for your schedule which is something that i was i mean you were the first person i really knew who who did that and it just it seems to make so much sense because it's like, you know, you can go to Belgium and get your head knocked in week (laughs) after week, but there, there are other options, not too far away.
1: There are, I mean, well, so Spain was, yeah, that kind of happened by accident. I think, uh, the first year I was over there, my partner Anik came with me and, um, we had just thought of that as like a nice way to to kind of uh, an excuse to go to Spain. Like Mm -hmm. there were some races down there. Um, and I did too. I did one in Carranza, and one in Elorio, which are both in the Basque Country, so north east corner um, of Spain, and it's just, it's amazing. I mean, I never even really heard much about it. I mean, there's bullfighting in Pamplona and things like that, but, but if that's all you think about when you think of the Basque Country, there's so much more. It's just, it's the, the mountains there, and it's so verdant and green, and there's so much mud. It's like it's basically like Belgium, just like a little warmer and way hillier or mountainous. <laughs> there's cliffs everywhere. It's just it's it's one of those places like you see valleys like that in the tour coverage, uh Tour de France, and it's just it's like that, but you've never heard of any of these places. Yeah. Um, and I think I just really, at the risk of sounding cliche, like fell in love with that Spanish scene and um got to be friends with a couple of the racers down there. And then this past season. I went down for one, or I started my European season there, did a couple races, and then wound up coming back down for another block and was going to spend just like two weekends down there. And I think I wound up spending a month because like, I, I I don't know, I got a a good buddy who's a photographer down there, lives in Barcelona. So I spent some time with him. And then um, we actually went and visited his family out in Galicia, which is basically as far north and west as you can get in, uh, in Spain. And, Oh, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, just the Spanish hospitality is, is world-renowned, and to actually experience that is great. Like, the, the, the cool thing was, too, down there, the, uh, I have a friend, uh, Ismael uh, Aguero. Ismael Esteban Aguero. They all have more names than we do down there, <laughs> three or four. But he, uh, he was the Spanish cyclocross like, champion uh, a couple times. And he, like, I would go down there and I would just be operating out of the back of my car. And basically this last time I was down there for three or four races, He's and he, he only speaks Spanish too. So like, I gotta, I, I like him like brushing up on it all the time. And it's kind of a linguistic adventure too. It adds to the the fun. But uh, like, he let me use his tent and basically like post up in his spot and was just always like his mechanics helped me if I didn't have anybody around. So it's just, I think it's a much kind of it's almost like the US scene. I think when a lot of Belgians and Dutch people come over there they're just like wow, the, the people are so open and welcoming and willing to help. Um and it's just a very different experience there and I I just connected with it and just absolutely love it and yeah, I had some some decent results down there that I think I think when you have success at something too or in a certain place it it um makes it easier to Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with them being welcoming to you because it's the same thing I found in Japan. Like I, I, I thought that scene was very reminiscent of the U.S. and just how stoked people were and loved having, you know, elite riders there and cheered for everyone and 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 you know we we talk about like the Belgians and the Belgian fans and stuff where that's just verboten and. Maybe it's actually Belgium is the um, exception. We've just been looking at this all wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think too, it's like, I don't want to bag on like Belgian hospitality too hard because I actually, I lived with my mechanic last year in Odenard. Uh, He's a little younger than I am. And his mom had me there and basically like gave me a room to stay, would cook me stuvelet, which is that Flemish beef stew. Um and just was like a second Belgian mom, and I, I think it's they're maybe not quite as readily open um, as other places, but I think that if you get in, if you if they get to know you, I mean, some of the best the best people I know. Yeah,
0: and I, I think that a lot of it is what we're basing it on is is spectators at races, mm-hmm. and I think that we can, you know, I, I think if you align those fans with like nfl fans you know or something like that or or college (laughs) football fans or something where there's no way you're even going to talk to somebody who you know is is a is a fan of a of of your death rival then then that that makes more sense and i i I think you're right that it's not a it's not right to put that blanket on the whole uh culture and and people but just maybe maybe just those those drunk guys with their um cigarettes hanging over the uh side of the uh of the of the barriers at the at the mud section who who, <laughs> who, who, who pretend who face. pretend that who pretend <laughs> that Matt Matthew Vanderpool doesn't exist
1: yeah <laughs> or they call you Matthew Vanderpool and they are like wait a minute I think you're making fun of me right now <laughs> I'm just gonna ignore it
0: I know uh, now you're coming in there you know short haired and and just uh you know you're not you. You're not, you know, you, you, you're, you may, you may be falling out of the crazy American or like Australian or something, you know, people that, that, that get the big cheers.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny. There's like, yeah, there's this middle, there's this big kind of no man's land in the middle where right. I think like if you're dead last and you're like super furry in a goofball, people <laughs> are like, yeah, yeah. Or you're at the front and they're like, Yeah. Or you're like, I don't know, Lander Locks, who is super fast, Belgian right. guy. But like what, the the twelfth fastest Belgian guy? Like how big's his cheering section? He's beyond the one like
0: he's the one that is, you know, he you go he's probably in there, you know, somewhere between fifteenth and twenty fifth or whatever, and he's just racing to everyone's back because they're all turned watching the uh Watching the, the, the monitors, watching the big screens of, of the race that's happening a minute up the road.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean it's happening back where I am too. <laughs> <35th> place. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a funny a funny place. But I mean just speaking to your point too, where I've like I've sort of I would say uh, become a little more Euro in the I, the past couple of years over there. I think the first year it was kind of like, okay, this is like the novelty. I'm riding the rock lobsters, which I still do, by the way, great bikes. I love them. Um, but I, I, I think like the first year I almost kind of felt like, like the whole thing's a circus, but mm-hmm. I felt like too much of a clown in the circus. Like kind of like they like you because you're a novelty. And I, you know, I did that for a year and I think I realized, like, I you know, if I'm gonna get somebody to be cheering for me, or if somebody's gonna be excited, I want it to be because of my bike racing over here. I don't want it to just be because I'm the the furry Californian. Yeah, I mean, I started shaving sure. my legs. Like, it took me 30 years. <laughs> wow. Okay. But yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, now I almost enjoy it. So yeah, I think it's just, and it's, it like gets you in the mindset. It's like, rather than being like, okay, well I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the guy who doesn't shave, who hasn't cut his hair for five years, doesn't shave his legs. It's like, it's like, no, I'm here to race my bike. I'm here to, um, you know, still have a good time, but just take it a bit more seriously. And really, I think like racing over there, it's such a fine line between, between success and even mediocrity and success, like being really good. It's such a tight kind of tight range that I I think you just have to sort of be focused and really get your mind in that place where I'm, I'm, I need to feel like I belong there. And and I think I've finally, with the way I'm training with the, the, the kinds of training I do, my approach to everything, which par- partially has had to do with my stomach, I've kind of had to readjust my my lifestyle um, in a positive way. Um, just kind of a weird thing to come out of that, but but just everything has to be very focused um, in a way that being a clown doesn't allow you to do. Yeah. That's not to say I'm not still a doofus. I certainly <laughs> am. No, but even <laughs> very looking, much so.
0: Looking at the, the the as you said, the way you train and just the, you take it. Super seriously, I think you probably do more sand workouts than any other north american you you, you <laughs> got to be ready for that part part of the uh european um calendar
1: I did a, i did forty five minutes in a figure eight not all at one time, but a cumulative forty five minutes riding in a figure <laughs> eight, which is horrible it's the yeah. worst, but it in my mind so so that's kind of like speaking to your point like i I think I went to Belgium and And it's overwhelming at first. You're like, how are these guys so good? What are they doing? Are they stronger than me? Are they, well, probably yes. Are they better at bike handling me? Probably yes. It's like, okay, well, how do I get there? What do I do? And then you you see where they train and you see how they train and you see how they race. Um, And like, I mean, I live in Southern California. We don't have any mud, but we've got a beach. And so much of that racing and so much of the soil there is sandy. I mean, Zolder is like a ripping fast sand track, Coxida, Ostend, World Championships this year, Zahnhoven. I mean, so many big races, Skeltercross, like, like sand is a, a crucial part. And I think that if you can ride sand, you can ride anything. And like certainly once you get back on the road, you're like, oh, all I have to do is pedal? <laughs> this is easy. Um, and then it just, it, it develops that skill. And I, I don't think that, the Europeans are necessary, and the Belgians specifically are that much stronger than a lot of strong Americans. Um, and obviously, the, the Americans that are stronger than me, the Stephen Hyde's, the Curtises, those guys. Um, but I think that they, sections where you might have to put in a lot of effort and gas yourself, they float through. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where the sand comes in is like, if you're, if you nail that. That uh, second sandstroke and cokeda. So you come, come over the fly over the second time. It's that slight uphill and left turn, and then you've got that undulating kind of downhill sand dune into the second pit. If you can nail that and ride that without getting off, not only do you make up five or 10 seconds, but you've essentially it's like sitting in the pack drafting on a crosswind day or something. And then you've got the gas for that second one for the Albert Dune, which is that uphill across the top, crazy drag down to the bottom, like, like little shoot yeah. and, it, and it just compounds. And so if you're able to, to ride that stuff, um, smoothly, you're putting yourself more on the same playing field rather right. than flailing and, and also not using
0: know, as much burning as many matches to, running and all, yeah. all that and trying to catch back on when you're doing these, um, the, um, as I like to refer to them as infinite, infinite intervals, Um do, do you feel like after time, I mean, well, well, first let me ask you this. Do, are you, are you, uh, recording power
1: when you're, when you're doing those workouts? I mean, my computer's on, yeah, I would argue that I have the highest Watts per kilometer. That's my, that was my question is that like, um, yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: but, but that, that, you know, it is exceptionally more power that you're putting out in those sand workouts. And I guess the, the, the question is over time, just by doing that, have you felt like your technique and, and your ability and, and has it gotten to a point where you are able to ride that with less power or is it just like, this is just brute. Strength for these sections and and here we go,
1: yeah, you know, I think it's so, yeah, so i I do have a power meter on, but i don't ever look at power i'll look at it afterwards, right, um but i never i mean it's basically like if you're in the sand, it's like it's not about power, it's about speed, and it's about float, mm-hmm. like you can you can work the hardest you've ever worked to go, the slowest you've ever gone in the sand um. So I mean, yeah, to answer your question, I think just the more time you spend in the sand, the it's not necessarily that I say, Oh, I'm not I'm not pedaling as hard. It's more like, oh, I can ride this figure A for ten minutes. Yeah. Rather than like a minute and a half and then falling over. Yeah. Or I can do I can do these big straight VO two efforts in the, through ruts. So I don't know, ten more times or something. Like you just you Yeah, you just you just build build your stamina and build your repeatability. And I guess that's the way you measure it because I mean, in a cross race, you don't look at your power you're just like, well, there's the group here. I am either. I'm going to make it to them or I'm not. And so I think that's part of the mindset too, is, is making sure you train like you race, I guess in certain situations and in in sand, it's just,
0: yeah, that seems to be the huge, I mean, that's been a mantra and I guess a, um I don't know how to put this. A, 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 a contradiction, maybe the paradox of of US cyclocross for elite racers. And I know we've talked about this in the past, is that yeah, you want to you know train like you race if you're using if your goal is Europe and for a lot of, of top riders, then these races in the US, sure they're important, but they're also training for that. And is there that ability to train like you're racing in Europe? And I think that's the, that's kind of the, 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 the push and pull that a lot of elite athletes have just in the, the uh, courses available at the UCI level in North America to race on, you know, I mean, one thing, yeah. you know, the argument and I'll, I'll, I'll contradict myself left and right. Uh, <laughs> it's what I do, um, that, you know, the, 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 the people make the race, they're going to make it as hard as they want to heart ma- make it. I mean, I've, I've been at Rochester and heard like, um, hide yelling at the rest of the group saying, I don't care who wins this race. We're just going to be, we're going to make it as hard as we possibly can because we have a world cup coming up next week, you know, and just like, yeah. that was kind of the agreement, <laughs> even though it was a, you know, C one or C two race, but at the same time, you know, that, that track isn't really, uh, challenging them as much as something with all these crazy obstacles and sand and mud and everything else that you're seeing in, in, in these typical Belgian courses.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, looking at it in the context of the races themselves, it, yeah, I think without the addition of weather, a lot of um, US courses are very straightforward. Um, and, and you could argue that there are some Belgian courses that are like that too. I mean, like Bruderboard is a field with some maybe like 15 foot high mounds of dirt with grass planted on them that were put there specifically for the cyclocross race that happens once a year. Right. Like there's, I mean, they take the the geography. There is nothing exceptional, I guess is kind of what I'm saying. And they do with it what, and they have the benefit of weather, but they take, Something pretty ordinary and turn it into something extraordinary. And I mean, that's something that, as a course designer, I'm sure you look at a lot and you study. And I, I don't haven't wrapped my head around how to, how to, to, to do that. But I mean, there are certain like at DCCX, there are like very kind of European things that you put on that course. And I was so bummed last year when it rained that I missed that day. I got sick after the first day and then was just like, oh,
0: it was such a different it was like completely different race and, and something yeah because yeah, I mean as you know for years we were always like oh it's okay if it rains it drains all drains into the lake it's not gonna <laughs> I have we don't, heard you and we Taylor don't get, say that probably yeah, we like, don't, <laughs> even if it could rain all day it's not gonna be muddy and oh boy did we disprove that last year <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was sleeping in Taylor's basement the night before and he's like oh it's fine it's gonna drain <laughs> <laughs> I saw yeah. pictures I was like oh but <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, before we go too far down that rabbit hole, yeah. um, I, I think w- with training and obviously it's hard to do a race effort in training. Like when you've got all the top guys or all the top women in a race, you can really replicate that effort that you can't replicate by yourself or you yeah. can ach- you get, you can reach that you can push yourself. Um, but I think with tra- that's the beauty of cyclocross is it's. Even the biggest tracks in the world, with the exception of a couple, you know, Zahnhovens or or things like or Namur, even Nur, I mean it's like at a it's a grassy top of a hill. I mean, how many grassy hilltops are there on the east coast or right. Grenoge? It's kinda like Grenogue.
0: And and um, and even, even at the, the the tracks we have in the US, you know, and, and this is where it comes into play too, is that you know, we're running the amateur races on a lot of the same stuff. We're, we may have a staircase that we could send everybody down and put sandbags on there for people don't, to crash on, like they did don't this year that. at Namor. That, no, I know, but we that wouldn't. Was the worst. That's what I'm saying. But we wouldn't.
1: <laughs> I feel like. Oh, real quick, let me finish. Up. The, yep. I think that with training, I think that you can find. I mean, I'm obviously very fortunate to live near a beach where I can have more sand than I know what to do with. But I mean, there's sand everywhere. like the guys up in Sacramento and the ladies up in Sacramento train next to the river, and they've got like I love the stuff they put up on Instagram, the whole Squid Crew and everybody just like ripping these ruts down by the Sacramento River, and even like Curtis, Curtis out in Gloucester has been like I saw his figure eight games getting better. He's doing it. I don't know if I had anything to do with it. Probably not. But you know, it just it, it warms my heart to see that. And yeah. just to, and, and like Carrie's got got a zone somewhere when he was in North Carolina. Obviously, I don't he's, he's probably gonna find something now in Virginia. But I yeah, mean, like him and Eric there. Thompson had those yep. zones that they would ride. So it's like I think that's what's so cool about a cross bike is you can take any anything ordinary. And you can take what you see on TV and say, I want to replicate this kind of thing. And I want to put in these lines and I want to start riding. And you can really, I mean, your imagination is sort of the limiting factor with a lot of this. Like you can really, I think, I think you can prepare yourself much better in training than people think you can here.
0: I think it's also, it's getting out of the, at least for US based and for that kind of stuff, which I kind of fell into just because of the, the folks that I was riding with uh, years ago, including Taylor and, you know, Kevin and, and, and folks like that, who were always like, all right, well, we're going to go, their training was okay. We're going to go, you know, on the canal path, but then we're going to be like veering off it every, every 50 yards to find some cool, you know, hidden, hidden, uh, single track in the back on our cross bikes and just rip through that, which make, made it you know, it was like the hardest workouts you could get, but it was also fun and it was something different. And it was something that, Oh, but by the way, when, you know, look at Instagram where the, uh, you know, telling team was training today, Hey, it kind of looks like what they do, you know, off in the woods in their own little secret, yeah. secret spots. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, there's obviously something to that. And maybe, maybe it's just getting away from, you know, not that there isn't, uh, a, a positive gain from setting up cones in a, on a soccer field or, off to the side of the soccer field and, uh, (laughs) and and training there, but it's, uh, being a little more creative and, and, and finding new places to go and kind of having fun with it, especially if you have been doing it for a while. Cause that's the other thing that I feel like with people racing cyclocross, not at the elite level is that after a couple of years, you sort of get burnt out on it. And maybe that's a way to sort of like change it up and, and just sort of adventure ride for your training and see if, see what that does.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the cool thing about that too, is I feel like, and this, I love riding on the sand. And for me, like I'll go out and do like a two or three hour training session and I'll, I'll have fun while I'm doing it. Whereas like, if I go right up the hill or ride right up the mountain five times at 15 minutes or something like that, at no point, Dorian. The only time I think it's fun is when I'm done, and I'm like, maybe this will make me faster in three weeks. Like that's the only fun part about that. And obviously, you got to put in the work like that. But I, I think cross is great because you can trick yourself into getting faster, um, like or trick yourself into getting fitter, and just by being on those forest paths or or sliding around turns on gravel roads, you're you're honing your skills to go faster, which is what you're ultimately trying to do like the person who pedals hardest doesn't win the race it's the person who goes the fastest and there's lots of ways to go fast which is what's great about cross and why i think it it has that appeal because it's not it's not like road racing or time trialing or triathlon where it's like strongest person wins
0: yeah no I, i i think we 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 see that not to go off on a huge tangent, but just thinking about... Uh,
1: Tangents are the best. That's where we get all the good exactly. stuff. Exactly. No, I was just thinking about like Sepp in
0: and the Tour de France. It's like, what a weird sport in that he's obviously... Well, maybe not. I mean, I'm sure people would argue it. But there there is a good argument that a couple of stages, he was absolutely the strongest guy out there. And he is being lauded for not winning. Like that, that's how the game's played that he didn't go off and just win a, win a stage in the tour de France. Like I think he really could have, uh, everybody's like, Hey, that's great. He was a team. And, well, they're still going to criticize him because he left his, <clears throat> his leader for, him, you know, a couple, couple seconds, but then he sat up and waited up and then, then went off and I'm like, man, that that's something you would never see in a cyclocross race.
1: No, it's <laughs> <You're> like, Oh, <laughs> blood in the water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got a flat. <laughs> it's almost yeah. re- like the lack of gentlemen's or like there are gentlemen's and gentlewomen's rules, but there's no like, like, Oh, I pretended to drop my chain when you attacked. room, <laughs> You know, stuff like that. I like,
0: think that it's, it's the, the, there is a, there is no, um, there's nothing dishonorable about taking advantage of someone else's racing misfortunes. You know, that's like, Mm -hmm. that's part of the game. Yeah. You drop a chain, you crash, whatever it's, it's full gas. You go at the same time, you're racing with the same people week after week. Maybe you're not going to chop them in every corner and be that guy. And then, you know, you know, and it's stuff like that, that that's not going to really in the end turn out well for you. But, uh, but yeah but not it's, being
1: a dick is usually yeah. like the best policy <laughs> in most things, right. especially, especially when heart rates are through the roof. Yeah. And-
0: but on the on the other on the other end of that, and I think that we see this like at the lower ranks too, is that it, it and I think one of the great things about cyclocross is that it is an aggressive sport, you know, and it is it is a a contact sport, which is something I think we can talk about also with <laughs> where we are at the state state of the world and and that's okay and that's something that you have to be okay with going into it and i think on the amateur amateur level sometimes people can't accept that you know people can't accept that somebody's coming in really tight on them into a corner and they have to hit the brakes and all of a sudden it's that other guy's fault it's like mm-hmm. well they were ahead of you you know and that's yeah. that's kind of part you of racing yeah. yeah
1: yeah and it, there there's a There is a, I mean, like with most things, there's a fine or a not so fine line. There's a, there's a gray area between being, being a jerk and just racing hard. And I think that, that at the higher level here, and then especially over in Europe, it's like, it's not, I've heard people describe that it's like super argy bargy and this and that. And it's, I think the thing is too, like, there's not, there's only like one line through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, you either get there or you don't. And that's just everybody's, everybody's on the same page. Right. And so, yeah. So what was, you know,
0: 30 minutes later, back to my original question, what, (laughs) what was the plan for this year?
1: Plan? Ah, Europe. And, I mean that's uh, yeah. Europe is always the plan. Is and there
0: it, is 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 there any any uh, part of that plan that remains?
1: Um, there is the planning part of it that is very exceptionally planned right now. <laughs> um, and I think the main thing is just kind of waiting until the tour is over and seeing how that all pans out, and then buying a plane ticket in the next couple couple weeks, depending on how that all.
0: Have you in, in, investigated the bureaucratic hoops for making that happen?
1: Uh, a little bit here and there. I mean, there it, there seem to be ways to, to get over there right now um, for professional athletes that are, I think it kind of all depends. You sort of play like like boarding gate roulette with it depends on who's there. And then you play customs roulette with... Who's there when you disembark? So it's, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that's not, uh, I think the moral of this year is there are many things that are not set in stone, and it's you need to be flexible. And I have to be okay with getting on a plane, flying 15 hours to Europe, and then being told, no, sorry, you. And I say, well, the rules say I can get in. And the person I'm talking to says no. And I have to be okay with getting on a plane and coming back. And just with the way that I have um, my program set up um, with a lot of the resources being contingent upon being in Europe, and then also with my work for Shimano um, and projects that I do for them, having some merit, it's at least worth it for me to take that risk, um, But like with any risk, it's like you have to be you can't feel like you're entitled to the best case outcome. You just have to be okay with it not working out.
0: No, that's a great way of looking at it. And what are what are your feelings on actually racing, assuming that best case scenario and you're in and you're able to line up for a race. I mean, just with the you know, that's that's kind of the big debate right now. I mean, we're seeing the tour going Mm. off. We saw a a cyclocross weekend or race happen in baden in switzerland uh last week uh with you know decent enough sized fields so what's your what's your what's your feeling on on actually towing a line in a race
1: i mean it's, it's what i dream about doing it's it's one of those i mean whether that's the rational thing or not i guess is the that's the other debate i, I mean from a a responsibility perspective. I think it's one of those things where if it's, if it's permitted in a place and they're holding the races and there is a legal and official channel for you to arrive at that start line and participate in this race, that's been okayed. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's how I've justified the, the virological, virological risk, um, and, you know, making sure I also take steps to make sure that that doesn't affect other people. Um, so whether that's when I come back home here to my family or, um, isolating when I get to Europe, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting question too, because there's obviously still a few races happening here in the U S yeah, um, and that was that was
0: gonna be my my harder follow up question. I mean you've you've traveled out to to ruts and guts before. That's I you know just got an email I from love it. Yeah, I love from, from Tanner what, uh, saying, hey, we're still going. You know, this is this is on. Jeff is still having his race down resolution as well. It, what where where are you at with that? I mean, it seems it seems like we were completely against a domestic calendar in the past couple months, I I, I don't know. I I feel like it's, it's loosening up a little bit, but maybe, maybe, maybe that's incorrect. I don't know. I, I, I haven't, haven't gotten a good feel. I I think there are still, there is still a community of people who are absolutely against racing. I completely a hundred percent understand that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I also, you know, there's also people who are trying to do this in a safe, manner that lowers the risks and i don't know i don't know i don't know where yes. i'm at and i just i just don't know what to think about i mean there, there, there's a whole other philosophical question about is it really a season if you're only having three uci races and then nationals that's that's a, mm. on a whole different level but i don't even know about like is it okay just to support these races that are happening. I mean, at the same time too, I'm friends with all of these promoters is like, I want them to succeed. I just don't yeah. know. And I also don't want them to be, uh, cast out as like, um, villains somehow because they want to try to make this work. So I, I don't know where the, where the middle ground is. And it's something also that we were talking about. Uh, I, I think before we started recording, just on that d- different types of racing has, different risk levels. I mean, this isn't a Mm 5,000 person mass event with parties before and after and, and all that kind of stuff, which obviously we've seen from, you know, events like that. That's not a good thing. So what, I
1: don't know what, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I've thought a lot about too. And I, I, I think that going to a bike race outside in a very windy field in Oklahoma is probably, much less of a risk than everybody who is sitting at the bar up the street from my house right now. Yeah. Um, which personally I don't agree with, but I guess this is kind of a way to answer the question. It's like there's my state and city has deemed it okay for a bar. Well, I don't know if a but a bar can be serving food, but still essentially function as an outdoor bar. Mm-hmm. And and you can still go out to eat you can still do all these things that maybe i personally don't think is the right thing to do but if there's not going to be any kind of official restriction or leadership then i don't know if you can hold somebody or an organization not accountable but if you i don't think you can bust their balls over it um cuz i don't think it's if, if nobody's going to make an official top-down decision um, and it's just going to be left up to, to States or counties or things like that, it's kind of up to every area to, to determine what's safe, what's allowed. And if something is allowed, I don't think that it's the fault of any sort of business owner or promoter or racer in that area uh, if they choose to go do it. Um, not that I'm advocating for like a complete police state or something, but just, I, I, I it's uh, for, for example, here in Santa Barbara, they closed down the downtown street to make it a pedestrian walking mall so that people could socially distance restaurants could come out on the street, this, that, and the other thing. They went through all this trouble to close the streets to, to expand the planning permits, oh, California planning permits, and planning departments. Do you think? Do you think it's bad anywhere else? It's just like a nightmare here. Um, but so they went through all this trouble to expand these to, to make it safe, to make it or or more COVID safe. And and then at the city council meeting, they're sitting around debating whether or not they can give out t- like they want. They have signs saying you have to wear a mask but then they're debating whether or not they can give people tickets for not wearing masks. And it's like, well, what message are you sending? If you're like, Hey, you know, you really should be wearing this, but we're not going to hold you accountable. We're we're not going to give you a definitive, a definitive yes or no, because we don't want to come across this way or that. Like we don't want the responsibility of making a decision. And I think that in the absence of people making specific regulations and decisions yeah, go race your bike. Better than going to a bar. Better than going to a frat party. It's better than all sorts of things, I guess is my, my take on it. I talked around, we we did a few figure eights before I got out of that one and got to where I was finally going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're good at those.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's why I like writing. like, Like when I talk, you know, you can't edit. Well, I guess you can. This is recorded. We could technically edit it, but you know, when you're writing, you can write something down. You can say, "Is this succinct enough? Is this is this what I'm really trying to say? Is this how I want to say it?" And then you can craft your message in a in a thoughtful way. And then when you talk, or when I talk, I'm just, you're good at this, though. You 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 have a good uh, structure and direction to the way you talk. Sometimes I feel like it's just like, oh. All the New Jersey comes out all at once. So.
0: Oh, I think you're selling yourself short. And I think you've done a a, a great job on this, that uh, Shimano series that you've been doing. That's been pretty awesome. Do you have oh, any others, course. any other episodes planned for that? And uh, sort of explain to folks what you've been doing.
1: Uh, sure, yeah. So I started, so when COVID started, um, Shimano was trying to figure out a way to keep the fans and the athletes sort of engaged and, and and give people something to look forward to. Um since there was no racing going on, so they started doing these um these Facebook shows, Facebook live shows, where essentially it's kind of what we're doing. We have a video chat. Well, we're having a video chat. I don't know if you can <laughs> it'll see be, it'll
0: be potted it, over right? to an audio chat.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Audio chat. Sorry edit that one out. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah. So I have a video chat with, uh, with other Shimano athletes. I guess I'm i I'm a host. I'm not technically an athlete in that capacity. I'm, I'm a Shimano live host, but we, uh, yeah, we just have you're a like, You're like player coach. Play exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm player coach in that. Yeah. <laughs> my, my name tag changes from week to week, depending on whatever <laughs> Tommy feels like calling me. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, so it's been fun. I mean, it's, uh, we actually talked to, I got to talk to Sepkus, um, Right. When, oh, when did I talk to them? It's all the last six months are all a blur. I talked to him sometime after the Spanish lockdown. So, so that was a super fun one. That's um, kind of
0: cool. So I'm going to have to go back and, and watch that one. So are, are they still available to, to see? They okay. are.
1: So what we, what we do is we have them broadcast on Facebook live yeah. every other um, Thursday at 8am California time. And then what we do is we put them on the Shimano website, uh, with a blog post with a embedded link to the video. So yeah. you can go back and watch it rather than them getting sucked into the Facebook vortex. So
0: you talked to, uh, you talked to Sep before talking to Sep was cool.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's always been kind of cool. <laughs> no, before. I oh, for sure. But his
0: star has absolutely risen to just you know, astronomical right. levels in the last week or so.
1: His star has risen much <laughs> higher than I would have felt comfortable talking to him three <laughs> right? months ago. Yeah, you're
0: gonna have to go through his <laughs> you're people. Out of my league, dude. You're gonna to go through his people next time to talk to him.
1: <laughs> I know. Well you know what's funny is back when he won Redlands, I was working at Road magazine and we didn't we did this section at the back called Twenty Questions. And it was basically like we just pick an up and comer and and do a write up about him. Uh Just 20 like basic, whatever, short answer questions. But we did something with him. And and that was kind of funny because it was like a lot of those, you know, you do them and they just people pitter out or something happens. But I remember we had some questions like if you could make a head badge, what would it be? And he's like a strip of bacon and (laughs) just stuff like that. And like we asked where the craziest place was he'd slept. And he used to be really involved with Durango Devo, which Mm -hmm. is just, I mean that program is so cool. That's been around since I was a young kid. Oh, I was which, go. I was, was
0: going back and looking. I worked. Uh, I was USA Cycling's photographer when mountain bike nationals were in Pennsylvania, and at Bear Mountain. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was looking back and and you know there's SAP in a couple photos, and um, I forget who uh uh nielsen Paulson was uh there as well you, you yeah. know just just from these strong devo squads and just uh i i, I kind of was digging it that these 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 guys started you know in mountain biking basically and then of course we went back and had to look up Sepkus's uh, cross results and uh yeah all of all of durango just just uh, taking it to him all the old men all the yes. masters just banging <laughs> banging this poor kid's head in on the cyclocross uh, track.
1: You know that they're going to tell everybody that too. They watch, oh, the, yeah. like, you watch the tour stage today. Like I totally, I totally whooped him and cross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I can pretty much win a Tour de France stage. I, I can win a Dauphine <laughs> stage, you know. I basically beat this kid when he was 12. At it's, that's the fun game to play. Yeah, exactly. Again. Exactly. Yeah. I think I, uh, I beat Heinrich Hausler in Lonehouse, So I think that means I got second at Milan San Remo. I think that's I, that I think works. that tracks.
0: I think that tracks. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Put that on my palm eyes. <laughs> Amazing. Take what I can get. Yeah. Uh, yeah but so, uh, so we talked to Sep. Uh, I had a great conversation with Helen Wyman. Um, she is so great to talk to. She's just, I mean, with everything she's done for women's equality, and then just kind of uh in parallel with that, like the sport she's made this by by fighting for women's equality in Cyclocross, she has the cyclocross's sort of status has risen, I think, because of because of her work doing that. So I, I it was super fun talking to her. Yeah, um, and the
0: cool thing is I think because of the exposure that she has given to these really young cyclocross women, these juniors, is that it, it has, you know, and it, it has increased the fandom of, of the sport for the elite women, but it also has done what we see with the men when they're like, oh, oh, we, we, you got to watch so-and-so who's a 14 year old, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, cause we all, all remember like seeing Wout Van Aert when he was like that age. And you're like, oh, just, just wait until and need Vanderpool. But now, now we're seeing the same, same with these junior women, you know, when they're super young and then all of a sudden a couple and now they're on our radar. And then when they hit it back, you're like, yep, saw that coming. We saw them when yeah, they were, yeah. you know, in that, in that junior, World Championship.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like that—that that Helen one hundred is such a great, a great opportunity, and such a for for women, for for young girls, and just for the the future of the sport. I mean, it just it broadens the base so much. It's the past, present, and future. <laughs> um, but that. But speaking of that, I mean, so Bal- uh, Do you have a copy of Balance Book from this year?
0: I don't have this year's no.
1: Yeah, so there was a great. He, he had a photo from of uh, Celine from like 2014 or something in Keaton and she's like a little girl and finished something like 18th and it's a, he wrote a really really nice and thoughtful piece about like like I didn't even know I had this photo because why would I know she's racing against all the elite women and here's here's the brightest star in five or six years that we don't even have any idea. I mean, until she won that race in China uh, three years ago, four years ago, like nobody even knew. And even after she won that, she was still on a real super small yeah. team and just kind of, it was not until even two years ago that people started to be like, oh, she's crushing. So so yeah, I mean, you lose that, you lose four years of, of hype and opportunity and right. and yeah. that sort of thing. And I think that that closing that that gap and providing that opportunity is just, it's great for everybody.
0: So while you're turning figure eights in the sand, getting ready for this cyclocross season that may or may not happen, it seems like everybody else in the world has pivoted to adventure riding or gravel or some long form race, but... That's, that's never really been your gig. Has it?
1: I, I, yeah, I don't know why. I just, I, I like going as hard as I can and I know gravel racing's hard. I think it's just a time thing. I think with working so much too, like I just can't, and that's not to say that people who race gravel don't work, but just for me to put in the kind of time that I want to do the way I'd want to do. And maybe this, and I think too, just cross takes up so much of my focus. Um, Maybe I'll, when I get my priorities straight and stop flying to Europe away from my girlfriend and my dog and my life here for four months a year, I'll start (laughs) graveling or something. But yeah, I love going on gravel. I love, well, I don't really go on gravel ride. I like ride my road bike on There's Some pretty sweet dirt climbs up the back of the mountains here. Love kind of drifting around on rough roads, but yeah. I so know, you, key- you, you have this
0: background you talked about you know when you're working for road magazine and you were a professional bike racing writer for 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 several years so is there is there any anything in the in the back of that 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 head of yours uh thinking book someday memoir something novel oh. anything <laughs> <laughs> Is there more writing in in Drew's future?
1: I I still write a lot actually. So I actually um we just finished up uh we did talking about gravel. I I did a a gravel book. I saw that. I was going to talk about
0: that. Yeah, I I I, uh, yeah. I, I shouldn't have in in, in in intimated that you didn't write at all. So that that's a Shimano yeah, no. Shimano product, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we they um they brought me on to help them put together uh, basically a book, a a gravel book. Um, just they came out with the new GRX group set, um, which is sort of their drop bar off road, kind of all applications group set. And they wanted to do a book kind of highlighting what you could do with it. Um, and it was a, it was a super fun project. I, I was able to write about cross in Europe. Um, I wrote about riding in San Francisco, and then I got to work with so many amazing photographers and other writers. Like we sent uh, a couple people to Rwanda to cover the race or, or race around Rwanda. Yeah, that's the one. It was basically a five-day bike packing tour. Um, and then we sent somebody to the UK. We did some. We did a story in Thailand. Um, so it was just. It was really cool to be able to write stories. And then also just be involved in kind of guiding and creating a lot of these other, these other super cool stories. That,
0: yeah. Um, so were you, other than writing, were you more like in an editorial role in this or what was your.
1: Yeah. I, I sort of helped manage the, the photography and the, the writing and things like that and making sure the stories came together. That, yeah. That's what I did at road is I was, um, well, by default, I was the editor in chief because I was the only person there for a little while. So it, it <laughs> sounds right. imp- way more impressive than it really is. But still looks so, good on the resume. Exactly, exactly. So I I used those same. It's basically kind of like like what I did at Road, but doing it in a in a capacity for Shimano. And it's yeah. I, I love doing that work. It's just it's so. It's, I'm found... sure you have this with creative things where it's the kind of work you do, but you can't get it. like, like I would have conversations with people where we would start out not really knowing what the angle would be, and then throughout talking to them for an hour, we'd have this idea, and then you're so jazzed on it, and just I feel like I can pour all of my energy into things like that um, in a way that is difficult with other things.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's the that's you're right. That's what I love about the creative process when you're not really sure where it's going to end up when you start and then, and then you figure it all out. But I have to say just with, with Shimano and just what I've seen them do. I, I I worked with, uh, the alpha groove Subaru team for, for a while last, uh, cyclocross season. Oh Yeah. you were over there in
1: Europe. Yeah.
0: And just their, their, um, you know, Shimano's, uh, working with Shimano with them just, just to, to do creative, creative storytelling and it's not every company not every sponsor out there I think takes advantage of what they have as far as creative assets like Shimano's been doing I mean bringing you into this you know doing the stuff that they did with um, with Adam and, uh, and and Alpha and you know using my photos I mean that's the coolest thing as a photographer it's like it's great I, I love having the work I love getting paid but it's also nice when uh the stuff you create is used, you know, because there are a lot mm-hmm. of times where where marketing departments and creative directors like feel like they need to get the stuff, but then once they have it, they're not sure what they're supposed to do with doesn't, it. Ah. Uh, yeah, and then it just
1: <laughs> doesn't this stuff post itself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's been great. It's been great working um uh with uh they, they hired Nick Legan a couple I guess a year ago who used to write for Velo news. um, And then he worked kind of as a a contractor for Shimano for a while and wrote a book on gravel. Uh, I think he wrote the gravel, but I forget what it's called, but, but I mean, he just had, he brings that, um, he brings that same creative energy to things. And I, it's really was fun to work with him and still work with him on projects because he, he, he sees the photography and the stories and the people and the characters as he sees them in the same way that like somebody like you or I see them, where we get excited because it's a story to tell. And it's, yeah. he sees the value in, in stories and, 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 and telling good stories. So it's been, yeah, I feel really fortunate to have sort of stumbled into this, by whatever strange <laughs> crashed into it. I don't know what the correct <laughs> bicycle metaphor is, but
0: um, yeah, well, I, I I think the last sort of the, to put a pin on that and we're actually coming up on an hour here is that the other thing that I think that you don't give yourself enough credit for in this is that part of succeeding as a professional in the sport, especially in cyclocross, especially in North America is, You got to hustle and you got to give your, you got to give your sponsors something, something substantive to, to show your value because it's not always going to be podiums. Yet you are, you're a guy who, who is able to, to, to continue to do it with paid sponsors and, and a, an actual budget budgets are so crazy for, for racers in this, in this day and age.
1: It said, "Yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, it is the hustle. I mean, it's like I call myself a professional bike racer. I call myself a a, a writer and a, a journalist. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're just trying to hustle to, to keep the dream alive. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's I I've been really fortunate too because I've I've been with the same sponsors for. I mean, I've been riding Paul's bikes for eight years." Like when I met him, I wasn't even really right. I was working in a door shop next to where he was building bikes in Santa Cruz. Wow. And showed up on the local Tuesday ride in a t-shirt, almost killed everybody, but like rode up the hill kind of fast. And so the next week, like (laughs) everybody was yelling at me. He's like, Hey, take it easy on him. He didn't mean to do that. And he just kind of like had my back. And I mean, that was, that was probably 10 years ago. I mean, I didn't even ride his bikes for, yeah. I've known him for a decade and just that relationship I have with him is great. And then Vole, I've been working with them for six years, Shimano for four or five. And, and they're just such great companies to work for too. And, or work with, because I mean, when I got sick and I couldn't, I basically had put all my eggs in the racing basket and, and tied everything up with being able to race and I couldn't. Um, And so I, I had to figure something else out and I went to Vole and I, went to Shimano and said like, Hey, I, um, I don't know if I can race, but I I could use some work. Like, what can you guys do? And they, they came up with work for me, um, which I'm grateful for. And they helped, it wasn't just like a sponsorship thing. It was like, they actually cared and they actually wanted me to succeed regardless of how that looked I guess from the outside, whether it was as an athlete or whether it was working for them. And I feel incredibly fortunate because they still have me working on these projects, but they still are psyched on my racing and they're willing to, 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 I would say it's. Pro- I'm probably like a pain as an employee because I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to Europe for four months and raise my bike and maybe be not worthless. And they're like, cool, get after it. Like we'll make it work. We want you. We want you here. We want you doing this. And it. A, a big thing with my colitis is stress, and one. And I think it's with any kind of. I mean, not to not to paint this with a broad brush, but I think that a lot of a lot of personally for me, a lot of when I flare up or things are triggered by stress and not dealing with anxiety well and and getting overwhelmed with things. And the fact that I'm able to just to know, they just have somebody say like, Hey, it's going to be fine either way. We want you involved, whatever that looks like. I mean, talk about a weight off your shoulders. And I think it's easy for bike racers to really put a lot of stress on themselves And tie that up in their, their physical performance and their ability to perform physically. And I think that that's a very heavy burden to carry around a lot of the time that you don't realize is a burden because it just kind of, it's like every day, it's like another straw on the camel's back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And I just...
1: I'm just rambling now. There we go. Which, I, that's why I need to write this down and edit it. That's what, that's, that's my point. See, I knew this was going somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you 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 started the ramble right right at the end, so now we're just gonna have to sprint this into the <laughs> in, into the finish. I will say the it's one past thing.
1: past your bedtime talking about like being inspired <laughs> and going going. Going overtime for creative stuff. It's like almost 10 o'clock on the East Coast.
0: Oh, this is when things just get started, Drew. Uh, Ah, There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say with your, uh, with uh, Volet that I think the most uh, common comment I got on the heat check that that Volet was uh, nice enough to sponsor was, oh, didn't realize that's how you pronounce it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that was like first
0: comment on every video.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> I was like, it's, it's worth it and more. Yeah. I was like, thinking, well, if anything, you
0: got like audio confirmation of how the company <laughs> is pronounced.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. Well, it's so funny. Cause it's like a French name yep. for an American made company. That's confusing. Well, cause they started out as, as doing a, uh, windsurfing sales mm. and then they they transition to, to bikes but i think that's where the volet comes from because volet in french is to fly i'm pretty sure my french is moy mal, which is not <laughs> french for those of you who are not fluent but yeah so uh was <laughs> I going oh yeah french name american-made yep. company yeah but yes thank you bill for for helping <laughs> helping clear that up for, for everybody who was watching. Man, that was so good. That's actually, I'm kind of bummed about I'm bummed about many things about this season but I loved watching those. They were those really so fun, fun to do.
0: They were fun to and do it, and I, I I miss them lots. Yeah. Well, and
1: it's such a great way, I mean, to, to provide a storyline and, and to be able to become more of a fan of somebody to, to even just those short short clips of people with your commentary over the top and the jokes and the quips and the, the, the fun facts and the the clever stuff is it just, it makes it so much. It's like, it's like we love, we love Sep because we watch what he does and we hear what he says. And yep. it's just so much easier to like somebody when. Well, I, when I can tell you like presented and, and, in that way.
0: And, you know, we've talked about this stuff over the, over the years, but it's, it, it, it was just an exercise in how do you get people engaged in, in, in the domestic mm-hmm. scene how do you get people to care and I think the the thing that made me proudest with the the heat check was that people were yelling at me for getting it wrong which <laughs> which is perfect that's exactly yes. you know it's like I mean they were, they were yes they were incorrect because as we know it was based on math and science but you know, it's it's good. It was good that they they had strong opinions. So I
1: appreciate that. The algorithm does not lie. Does not lie, and the algorithm will be back. I'm it sure. will
0: be back. Drew, thanks so much for uh, chatting. This was awesome. I, I I always love when we have these these catch ups. So um,
1: these are great. We, will we should do it again.
0: We will definitely do it again.
1: Maybe we can do it in like a sweaty RV in Belgium or something.
0: That I would like nothing more.
1: Nothing more. <laughs> Take it easy. Uh oh, thank you so much, Bill.
0: Searching for the stories outside of cycling, but still inside cycling? The Gravel Lot is a weekly interview series where we talk about our shared experiences in the cycling community and talk with people that we think you guys might be interested in. Absolutely. And The Gravel Lot is actually not always about gravel, but it is the place that is your local trailhead. It could be the meet-up parking lot where you meet your friends. Or the post-ride watering hole. It's really the place where you sit down, share your stories, and talk about life. Yeah, and dive into the things that really Matter to you on two wheels or beyond. The Gravelot has brand new episodes every single Thursday morning, along with a bi weekly editorial column every other Tuesday. So check out the show, check out the beeline, and join the conversation and find out all you need to know about The Gravelot at TheGravelot.com.